Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, how awesome de- his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, I received this photograph was sent to me. Um, It's of some members of St. Ebbs during their visit to a church in Oman, one of the states in the Gulf. And the photograph was taken whenever they visited the tomb, or the the grave of the tomb, of Thomas Valpy French. Now, we've mentioned him here at St. Ebbs before. He studied here in Oxford, and then in the 1850s, he moved to India, and he helped to set up a school there, and he shared the gospel with the people of that land. And then he returned to England, and he became rector here at St. Ebbs for three years, But he wanted to go back overseas again, and so he was appointed the first bishop of Lahore in what is now Pakistan. And again, he shared the gospel with people. He shared Christ with the people um, around him. But eventually, he was in ill health. He was a broken man, and he returned to England. Um, But he still wasn't finished. Uh, Kind of his retirement, he headed off to the Gulf uh, to witness for Christ there, And that's eventually where he died in 1891. And the window behind me, which you can't really see because of the screen and because it's dark, but that window is a memorial window to him. And perhaps less significantly, the French room is named after him, not after the country, um, as a few people think. Now, I share all of that about the team and about Thomas Valpy French, because mission sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, of God's love and justice with our world, is part of our DNA here at St. Ebbs. We have overseas partners. We pray for them every week. 
people who have gone out from here to other parts of the world to work alongside, to partner with local churches and ministries and believers. I was an overseas partner for nine years in South Africa, and we've just prayed in that prayer for 2024, continue to send out from among us workers for your harvest field nearby and throughout the world. Now, in the 21st century, mission isn't simply about going out. People come to this country to share Jesus with us, and we partner with them in order to do that. And Oxford is an international city. Many of you are from other parts of the world. And for some people, coming here is when they first heard about Jesus Christ. So this month at the evening service, we're going to focus on mission here and overseas and reflect on why we should and how we can. Because mission, mission isn't just for a few people, like our overseas partners, or for extraordinary people like Thomas Valby French. It's for all of us. Every one of us can play our part in God's mission. And this psalm, Psalm 66, will help us to do that. It's a song that speaks about the ambition of mission and the appeal of mission. So the ambition of mission, and it's there in the first four verses, for the whole world to unite in worshiping God. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the, praise, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Now, this isn't the psalmist's ambition because God somehow needs our praises. He doesn't have low self-esteem. He's not insecure. Our psalmist wants all the peoples to praise him because he's worthy of our praise. He's the God of all. His name is glorious. His power is great. His deeds are awesome. He's the God who has made our world and everyone in it. In his image, we're to worship him, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. And yet our psalmist calls on all the peoples to praise God because that's not what the nations are doing. Now, verse 3 mentions God's enemies. And, our Bible, and the Bible tells us of how our world has rebelled against God. We're still worshippers, but we don't worship him or bow down to him. And so, as one writer puts it, mission exists because worship doesn't. God hasn't abandoned his world, leaving us to go our own way, making a mess of our lives or of our planet. His ambition is to bring all the earth back to him, to demonstrate his love and justice and power so that we praise him. And one day that ambition will be fulfilled. The Apostle John saw a vision of the future when a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb, praising God. And on that day, the nations won't be fighting or competing with each other, but singing in harmony, 
and our world in all its wonderful diversity and complete unity will worship God. And so our psalmist says, join in the song, give glory to God, share his ambition. But how? How can all people join in? How can mission make this ambition a reality? Well, then our psalmist sings of the appeal of mission. Well, in fact, actually, there are two appeals or two invitations, as it were. And the first one comes in verse 5. Come and see what God has done for everyone. Verse 5. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. And then our psalmist takes us back to a crucial event in Israel's history. Verse 6 is his shorthand way of referring to the Exodus, that time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, oppressed by a cruel pharaoh. But God, through Moses, delivered his people. He broke pharaoh's power, and so he let them go. And then just when it seemed that they were about to be wiped out, with the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, God turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the water on foot. He kept them alive and brought them through death to life. And often in the Old Testament, water is an image of the nations. And just as the sea is powerful, with huge waves lifting up and then crashing down, so the nations are proud rising up against God, rebelling against him. But verse 7, God sees them and rules over them. Our world is not out of control. There is no superpower too strong for him. But then our psalmist moves on and has another story for us to show what God has done. And it's there in verses 8 through to 12. And if that first story had kind of dramatic background music, God's rescue to life. Well, this second story has a more somber tune, as it tells of how God preserved his people to life, verse 9, and kept their feet from slipping. And the songwriter probably has in mind those years that Israel spent in the wilderness, when they faced dangers and experienced suffering, but God preserved their lives. The lives of God's people are always in God's hands, not our own. We're never adrift on the seas of life, buffeted this way and that by fate or by chance. He protects us from hidden dangers. He holds us steady. The God who watches over the nations watches over his people, including in the hard times. God didn't take the Israelites straight from Egypt right through to the land that he had promised for them. There was a wilderness to go through, and the people faced opposition, and they were under pressure, but God didn't abandon them. But he did test them. He refined them like silver, That's when silver is heated up so its impurities can be seen and taken away. And he did that to humble them, 
so they wouldn't become proud and self-sufficient, but to deepen their love and loyalty for him and to show them his power, that they could trust him to provide for them and sustain them and love them. They went through fire and water, but God had a purpose. He always has a purpose, even if it seems unclear to us. And there's an ending, verse 12, but you brought us to a place of abundance. The hardships weren't forever. God had a place of freedom and rest for them. And so the psalmist makes his appeal, come and see what God has done for everyone. And yet as, we, as he tells these stories, we might think, but they're not for everyone. Like only Israel benefited from these stories. It, you know, it's their history that he's talking about. And in a sense, that's right. And yet, as God made visible his name and glory and his deeds in their story, he had a bigger story in view. He was preserving a people back then so that when Jesus Christ, God himself, came into our world, there was a people that he could belong to. And God's awesome deeds back then were a pattern of the ultimate salvation he would act out in Jesus Christ. Because the ultimate enemy of God and his people and our world is not Egypt or some other nation or superpower, but sin and the spiritual superpower behind it. And yet Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has delivered us from, this, from our slavery to sin and the tyranny of death. He went into the grave and he came out of it again alive. And through his ascension, he is now in the place of abundance, heaven with his Father. And one day that abundance will flood this world when he returns. And until that day, God will preserve his people. His church will go through hard times. There'll be dangers, suffering, pressure, but God will keep our feet from slipping. Jesus Christ proves that God is the God of life and that through faith in him we can enjoy that life now and ultimately forever. And because of that, what this song celebrates is good news for everyone. It's why the church has spread throughout the globe. It's why it's the most diverse body in the world. God's awesome deeds are for everyone. No matter who you are, or where you're from, or what you've done, or what you haven't done, because of what God has done in history, you can find life in Jesus Christ. You can sing this song. And as the church sings it, as our hearts are thrilled by him, we make that appeal 
Come and see what God has done for everyone. Now that's a lot. But there's another appeal. And it's there in verse 16. Come and hear what God has done for me. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. This psalm is a song. And the first 12 verses could be sung by the whole congregation. But then there's a change in verse 13. And the spotlight falls on one person. And they step forward and they sing a solo. Now we don't know who they were. Maybe they were the music director. Maybe they were the king. But in a sense, they sing words that any individual believer could sing. They were in trouble. Deep trouble. But the God who preserved the nation kept their foot from slipping. They went through fire and water, but God brought them through. And so their response, verses 13 to 15, is a huge thank you. Now I have here a thank you present. It was actually given to the Turnbulls, to Andrew and Julie Turnbull. Andrew's the minister of City Congregation. And this is only part of the present. They were also given a bunch of flowers, some lovely red roses, but Andrew couldn't eat them, so he gave them to Julie, and he kept the chocolates for himself. And I think he's been actually quite restrained, um, kind of in his eating of them over the, of the Christmas time. Don't worry, he knows that I've got these box of chocolates. This illustration is being used with his permission. Um, but it was a present that was given to them, to, to both Andrew and Julie, by a couple within City Congregation, who were particularly grateful for the way that Andrew and Julie had served them and cared for them, and they wanted to say thank you. And I think it's a lovely gesture, and the Turnbulls really appreciated the gifts that were given to them. And it's not just couples within city congregation. Like, we do that. We give. They're for Andrew, okay? You don't come to me afterwards and ask for something. But we do that. We, we give out thank you gifts to people. We receive thank you gifts from people. We're grateful for what we've received, for what pe how people have treated us. And our psalmist in this song is grateful to, very grateful for what God has done for him. He's going to offer bulls and goats and rams. Now, we may not think much of that thank you gift, but it will cost him a lot but he probably felt no sacrifice was too much for what God had done for him. This was his way of expressing his gratitude and his wholehearted devotion to God. But why? What's his story? Well, he shares a little bit of his testimony in the mid, uh, later on, from verses 17 onwards. In the middle of trouble, he prayed and he praised God. But they weren't simply words in his mouth. They were from his heart. He's not claiming to be blameless or perfect in verse 18. But he was 
wholehearted. He didn't think, well, let me try and get out of this myself. If I need God, I know he's there. No, he went to God straight away. He cried out in faith and obedience, and God heard him. And so he praised God for his listening and his love, even in the middle of trouble. And it's a beautiful solo. And again, it's Jesus Christ who can sing it beautifully. Like, he never cherished sin in his heart. He cried out to God, praising him, and his prayers were always heard. And as he leads the singing, he reminds us that God is the God of all, and the God of many, and the God of one. That he doesn't overlook you and me. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're not lost in the world. You're not a face, simply a face to God. He knows you and loves you and listens to you, and you can call out to him. And you can share that experience with others. Testimonies of God's power in your life, of what he has done for you and me. So what might your story be? God's healing from sickness. God helping you with a messy relationship. Experiencing Christian love across what divides us. Thanking him for the salvation he has graciously given you. We can share with each other. We can share in our small groups. Occasionally we do it here in in a Sunday service of how God is at work in our lives, his answers to our prayers. And they don't have to be dramatic. They can be how in the ordinary day-to-day of life God sustains us and keeps us going. Our soloist wants us to praise God. He wants a spotlight on him, not on him. And he wants us to join in. And so this psalm begins with a call to the whole world to praise God. And then it moves to God's people rejoicing in him. And then finally to this one grateful person telling what God has done for them. And that's what makes this psalm special. And in that sense, it's a little bit like the film Wonka. Some of you may have seen it at the cinema over the holidays. It's the story of the early years of Willy Wonka, the famous fictional chocolate maker, and of his dreams of opening a chocolate factory and his struggles and successes. And throughout the film, he sings, and others join in. And then he sings again, and more people join in. And what do we do? Well, we hum along. And then we go home, and we download the songs, and we sing them around the house or when we're out and about. And we join in and we celebrate Wonka's dream. And we encourage other people to do it too. Or at least that's what the Nesbits did over the Christmas holidays. Now, Wonka's singing a more, about more than chocolate. And so is our psalmist. As the church worships God, singing about what God has done, 
but how he has brought life into our world, well, that spurs us to share our stories of how he has brought life to us and for us to praise him individually. And as we hear those beautiful solos sung to all you who fear God, then we all lift our voices to celebrate what God has done. And as the world hears our worship of the one and the many, as we call on it to join in, our world hears and listens and comes to God. So where does this ambition, this appeal, leave us tonight? Well, let me ask you this. Can you sing the solo? Can you tell what God has done in your life? Like, have you a living faith in him? Because Jesus has delivered you and given you life. This psalm invites you to. And if you've done that, and many of us have done that, then share it with others. Tell your story. And let's join in in singing what God has done for everyone. He's changed us, so let's commend him. We prize him, so let's proclaim him. To those local or international, to those near or far, come and see. Let's make a joyful noise to God. And to join in with other churches in this city and country and around our world as they sing of his power and love and life. So that one day, all the peoples will praise him. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Perhaps to thank him for the stories that we can share of what he has done for us. To reflect on his, what he has done for everyone.